Hello, my name is 4020 and joining me as always is 60s and this is TCT's Round 14 Review. Not a great result, mate, but how you doing? Mate, not terribly happy this morning, as I'm sure most deal supporters are feeling. After going out to Bankwest last night in the drizzling rain, masking up, taking along the hand sanitizer to make sure that I was keeping COVID safe. I have to say, I walked out of there a fairly miserable fella. That's all I can say. Yeah, so the St. George Illawarra Dragons 14, defeating the Parramatta Eels 12. Uh, the Eels dropped to 11-3 and three on the season now, which means they're a step behind the Melbourne Storm and obviously the Penrith Panthers who are out in front. Um, as for this game itself, uh, possession was 52% to the Parramatta Eels, with the Dragons at 48%. Time and possession slightly favoured the Eels, just under 33 minutes compared to the Dragons' 30 and a half minutes. Uh, completion rates were similar once again, as it has been the story in the last couple of weeks. 80% for the Eels, 35 from 44. 82% for the Dragons, 36 from 44. Um, Parramatta had more runs, more run meters, more post-contact meters, but the Dragons had more line breaks and tackle breaks. Uh, play the ball speed once again. Our opposition were about half a second faster than us, uh, 3.72 to 3.35. Yeah, it was just a... It was a, a game where the Eels were bad, the Eels had bad luck, and I think as much as I, I hope that last week was the get-right game for them, they just onto the same traps that have been plaguing them for the last six weeks now. Well, you've used the word bad, which you've applied to the luck, the play. I really want to emphasise the missed tackles. What was the missed tackle count? Have you got that? Yeah, give me two secs. I can pull it up for you. So defensively, uh, the tackle effectiveness rate was billed at 90.5% versus the Dragons' 91.9%. Sorry. Uh, and missed tackles were 30 from us to 16 from the Dragons, although the the difference was somewhat uh, shortened by ineffective tackles, where we only had 11 and they had 18. So in, in terms of um, overall ineffective missed tackle uh, totals, 41 for Parramatta and uh, 34 for the Dragons. Look, I'm going to premise anything that I say with the fact that I haven't watched the video replay of the match I'm going on what I watched live at the game last night. To be honest, I don't want to watch a review. I think the coaches can worry about that sort of thing when it comes to their planning and their review of what's just taken place. I think I saw enough last night, as far as I'm concerned, to make my call on a couple of things. I thought those uh, missed tackles were quite crucial. We really, in my mind, we had complete control of the game up to that point where the Dragons scored their first try. And to be honest, that came completely out of the blue. You had Lomax winning the uh, kick contest, the kick chase contest with Gutho. And full credit to St George, they backed up Lomax's chase to get that try. But up until that point, I was feeling ultra comfortable about how we were going. I think that was the story and of the game defensively, wasn't it? That we had them, especially at the start of the second half, we had them on complete lockdown, and then there was one very good Tyson Frizzell offload to Jordan Pereira, and it sort of blew open our defensive line, and we struggled to uh, recollect ourselves. If there was one bloke from St. George that seemed to... Oh, and I'm, I'm going to be surprised if he wasn't responsible for at least half our missed tackles, was Jordan Pereira. Yeah, he had a and huge game. Every carry that he made, he seemed to be pulling out of tackles, and Admittedly, there was a lot of cross-field runs, but the fact that he was pulling out of tackles seemed to be constantly putting our defence under a bit of pressure. But, yeah, it was a strange one because there were huge tracts of that game where our defence was in complete control, and then we'd get those moments where we'd fall off tackles. Maybe that first-up contact wasn't what it should be. And, lo and behold those sorts of small number of chances were enough to open us up and you know, get the Dragons in better field position and the penalties that and ultimately came their way. For the record, Pereira not quite uh, accounting for half of his team's tackle bus. He only had 12 of their 30. So, you know, just a quiet day at the office for him. <laughs> well, I hadn't even checked those stats. Again, I said I was just going off my vision of the game at the ground. I just didn't think there was any way that... I could avoid picking him out for 
the number of tackle busts that he made. And so, uh, just to recount, uh, Parramatta Eels 12, losing to the St. George Laura Dragons 14. Uh, try scorers were Quinton Gufferson and Kane Evans for Parramatta. Michaeli Ravalo with a double for the Dragons. Uh, both the conversions kicked by Mitchell Moses, with Lomax missing one of his two, but crucially, two penalty goals, the difference on that night. Now, those two penalty goals obviously led to that two-point difference, but um, it wasn't a game without a little bit of controversy. Like I said, a little bit of bad luck following the Eels at the start of this game. Uh, Read Marnie's try. You were, at the, you were at the field. I was watching at home. What was your take on it? Well, firstly, I was incredulous that he had apparently got there. And when the vision came up on the screen and the fact that it had gone up as a try, I was under the impression that it was going to come back as a try. There was obviously millimetres in it. I thought certain angles showed a clear patch of green between the ball and the dead ball line. Yeah, and uh, bearing in mind, it went up as a try. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Uh, In any criticism that we're going to make about officials here, St. George were clearly the better team. Oh, they they out in Fuse Eels 100% on on last night. So, like like I said, bad luck, but more more so bad form. And, uh, you know, we we mentioned that this isn't an isolated scenario for Parramatta. This is the last six weeks they've sort of dug themselves this hole. And um, as I texted you last night, I said that I think it's time to upgrade this little funk into a full-blown slump because they just can't seem to shake off the issues that have been dogging them all of which is self self created. This isn't you know an endemic of the NRL keeping them down or anything like that. These no, are- no, and and let's. And the interesting thing was, I hadn't even considered who the video referee was last night before the game. And look, actually, I thought Ashley Klein did a pretty pretty bad job in that uh, capacity last night. I think that Dylan Brown did not strip the ball out of um, Corey Norman's hands. He clearly freed his hands from the ball and was trying to extricate itself from the tackle and Norman's poor ball security led to the drop. But once again, that is not why the Eels lost. And no, but what the reason that I mentioned this was that when that call came on the Dylan Brown strip, I turned to the others that I was with last night and said, who is the video ref in this? I cannot believe that call in literally 100% of the calls this year, a ball that's lost like that is considered a loose carry. Uh, absolutely. And I could see absolutely no evidence mind you, to overturn the mind you, in that instance. Dylan didn't have a happy game, barring that lovely intercept, but there was a moment where he clearly knocked the ball backwards based on the precedent of last week, and we got a knockback call last week, we got a knock-on call this week. So there, there is an element of crapshoot to referee calls at times, isn't there? So. Do you think the touch judge tipped off on that being a knock-on on Dylan because it seemed to be a late call from the referee? I, I feel like it's hard to say if I understand the process because a lot of those knock-on calls do come late for those um, knockbacks. So maybe that is always the touchy making the call or maybe it's the referee taking a second and saying, oh, yeah, maybe that's a knock-on. So not, not 100% we've certain got, that. So, we've got so many negatives that we probably can go through. Can we... At least start with some positives. Yeah, I mean, I there's a handful there's a of players of... that I thought performed very yeah. well. There's one that has set an NRL, or he actually might have set an NRL benchmark, so we'll get to him at the end, I think. But yeah. two players that I wanted to single out, maybe, look, I'll, I'll throw a quick one to Ryan Madison, I thought made a decent return. 15 runs, 141 metres. There was that one intercepted ball where we had that sort of something cooking down the right edge and you tried to force a pass, but it wasn't a bad return for a man that's been out of the game for a couple of weeks. But the two players that caught my eye were... Nathan Brown, and I think that Reed Marnie, barring that one kick, um, that uh, he sort of loves the lace on the goal lines. I thought Reed Marnie was very good. So, what did you think of those two, mate? Well, I thought Nathan Brown was absolutely outstanding, and I don't know how well it translated on the television. He, he looked awesome but on the TV. He was, he was tearing in. He was absolute kamikaze. Yeah, line speed night. in attack and in defense. He was everywhere. So he was right up there with our custodian who we're going to get to in terms of uh, you know his performance for the night. Reed is brings so much energy to the team and should have been rewarded for that try. My only criticism is I'm not a hundred percent convinced with and this is a this is a tough criticism. I'm not 
percent uh, convinced with his options at the moment. Yeah, it and seems like it, his his long kicks are fine, and he's he's got good tempo and sort of reading the field nicely with the long kicks at the moment. But the short kicks have been really mixed. And I think there's a couple of instances, and I'm not really sure who I should be critical of, whether it should be Reed or, or maybe one who, of the players making a call. Making the call to the ball yeah, goes to exactly. Get. And you know, it's once you start to get to the point of being critical of someone and where you're nitpicking, like I'm perhaps doing at the moment, you perhaps put some of the calls under a microscope where it should not be. Mm-hmm. Again, this is where the coaches are the ones that are really in the best position to judge whether the service or the options are exactly what they're looking for. I thought there was a couple of instances, and it was those short kicks that you mentioned. There was another instance last night where there was some second-phase play. The ball ended up in Reed's hands in front of the goal line, and he made the decision to tuck the ball under the arm and, and hit it up. And there was a most definite opportunity out on the left-hand side with the players actually lined deep. This was right in that quarter. They had them for numbers, and unfortunately, we he went for the settled play. Again, it's it's probably nitpicking because he's a nine to ten out of ten on his effort and what he brought to the team last night in terms of the long-kicking game, the chase, the defence, the energy. I just would like to see a little bit of an improvement in the options. That's fair. And um, that brings now, us... I feel, I, feel, I feel really wrong with how I'm being critical there, but... I mean, we, we have pointed out in the last few weeks that Reed has overplayed his hand at times. Against the Bulldogs, he got caught jumping on a dummy half and had the ball knocked out of his hands. And he's, um, you know, had a, a predilection to sort of that goal line kick at times when probably Mitchell Moses or Dylan Brown might have been the better option. So it's it's part of the process, isn't it? He's still a very young dummy half and it is easy to forget. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Because as you and I have commented before when we've spoken, that Reed is a completely different player to the Reed that starred in the under-20s. The Reed that starred in the under-20s was an impact player who made lots of runs from dummy half. Exactly. Who created uh, a real spark when he'd come onto the field because he was coming on off the bench and he would spark the attack when he'd come on, whereas he's a distributor of the ball from dummy half now rather than a player who takes uh, an option for himself. Mm. There's a lot of people who feel they'd like to see him run more from dummy half. My criticism that I might throw there is I'm quite content for him to take more darts from dummy half. I'm really talking about the when. Yes, and it's it's also important to recognise that the Eels have a couple of dominant dummy half runners outside of Reed too. Clinton Gufferson, uh, Michael Jennings, so um, guys like that that love to get in the dummy half and they often do a lot of the work that he does or could do um, in that capacity. But yeah, and so yeah. like I said, I, I enjoyed what Reed brought to the table for the most part last night. And like you said, it wasn't a perfect game and there are elements that he needs to tidy up, but that, that is part of the process. But let, to crown off the sort of the best three players on the field, and um, fittingly when you speak about crowns, um, King Guffo, he set, depending on where you read, so originally he was billed as equaling the NRL record for most metres in a game at 367 metres on the park, which puts him on equal first place with uh, Roger the Dodger, Tuovasa Shek. However, NRL.com also have him at uh, 369 metres on their post-game stats. So if that's the case, he outright holds the crown. Uh, absolutely mammoth effort from the King. He was everywhere last night, scored the opening try, did a lot of work um, tidying up some aggressive long kicking from the Dragons, managed to prevent a number of 40-20s, um, and somehow 34 runs, 369 metres, uh, 167 kick metres, 91 post-contact metres, uh, absolute mountain, absolute mountain of work. Can I tell you that my impression of Gutherson and his game last night was such that a record-breaking effort from him still look to me like a typical Guffo game. Yeah, I mean, it just speaks to the sort of player he is, isn't it? That That's the standard that we hold him to. It's like, in the broadcast, they're like, oh yeah, he's 150 metres before half time or something like that. And it's like, 
he's on track for a big game, but you know, that's Gufferson doing Gufferson things. And he just yeah, just ate it all up. And the Dragons really went after him after what Cronulla did last week with that forty twenty. They kicked very aggressively to the sidelines and he managed to clean it all up. And it's a real shame that he couldn't crown off that performance with the win because absolutely Herculean stuff. Yeah, well, let's as I said to you, I had no idea that he was heading to record territory simply because it was the usual gutho energy. And I think if we were to consider what the alternative might be if gutho wasn't playing in the team, it's, it's pretty brutal. probably <laughs> not, pretty a, brutal. not a pleasant thought. It's not yeah. a pleasant thought. Um, so, the, Eels, the Eels weren't alone um, with those three players having good games. I thought that the likes of Murata and Kane were pretty handy off the bench. Um, I mentioned Ryan Madison before. Obviously, the prop forwards were good with a little bit of a, a scare for Junior Paulo where there was a, a hint of maybe syndesmosis for a moment, but he managed to fight through it. But yeah, it, it takes us to what's wrong with the Eels, mate? Like They're obviously getting a good platform every week. The forwards going forward. We win the meterage battle most weeks. But... Are we going sideways too fast? Are we not, you know, not committing interior defenders before I can slide? Where where are we falling apart? I wish that I could come up with an answer because I'm up there, I'm watching training, I'm seeing everything that I want to see, the issues that are there from the weeks that have been leading up to now are dealt with, they're worked on, and yet the execution is falling apart, especially in attack. Defence-wise, yes, we can. I pointed out the missed tackles that were there. You'd still have to say that our systems are working because even in any game where you give up two see. give up two tries is a decent benchmark for defence, isn't it? Like, yes, you it, said the missed tackles are an issue, and they certainly are. But for the most part of that game, I think we contained the Dragons. It was just for those little bursts where we lapse in concentration and allow our opposition to get on top. So that that is an issue that we have to deal with. But I think that defensively, the platform is there, much like how uh, through the ruck, the platform is there. So errors from our halves, uh, errors from like, like you know our sort of positional players, like the, the guys out wide. Um, like once again, the game plan offensively, do we just stray from it? Do we, we sort of not earn the right to go sideways? There's a lot of questions here, and it, it's difficult to break it down, like you said, because I don't think it's consistently one issue. Uh, you know, against Manly, obviously, when you spot them 16 points on your goal line, that's going to be a huge hole to dig out of. But we didn't do that against St. George. We didn't give them the errors in our own goal line. We sort of allowed them to score from long range. I'd have to say that there were opportunities that I thought we created last night that we didn't take advantage of. And I'm going to get to that because I think we need to talk about the elephant in the room, which is Mike Acevo, Mm -hmm. and we'll get to him shortly. But I thought we created a number of opportunities over in his direction during the night. I thought we that try that we executed in the first half was... It was beautiful. Yeah. And having seen what they worked towards through the week, there are most... Definitely. There is, I, I can't emphasize this strongly enough. There are most definitely aspects of the game that they work on that are not being executed. I think that there are a number of times where our halves aren't getting the sort of ball that they should. I think you've seen there were crucial plays, especially when we were working where there was a play the ball towards the wings and we would get one of our outside backs is getting to that. That was an issue. The service from those passes in particular from Wonga and especially Michael Jennings. Jennings obviously passing on the the unnatural side, left to right for most players. He had to really wind up, and and even then he managed to overcook the mark considerably one time. And they were crucial because a lot of those were happening from memory around about the fourth or fifth tackle. Yeah, exactly. That service to the halves. And let's be honest as well, the, our halves had a game that they certainly wouldn't want to put on their show reels. Yeah, and I think that and the biggest issue for me from those two is Dylan obviously had a number of just cold drops from concentration yeah. issues. But I think Moses let the game flow away from him. And as the dominant half, you can't do that. And he, he'll probably yeah. be on himself about this. And, and you know, He doesn't need to be absolutely attacked and, and torn to pieces over it. But I think that when you're the number seven and you are the dominant playmaker like, like you are as Mitchell Moses in our team, 
you can't let the game flow away from you. You have to be constantly you know, wrestling with it and taking control of it. And for, for good and chunks of the game, he did that. But then when he didn't, that's how the Dragons managed to force a way back into it. I think it's an interesting observation that you make of Mitch Moses because if anything in the past, where he'd have a game that wasn't a particularly stellar game, it would be because he overplayed his Exactly, game. yeah. You know, whereas last night it was simply a quieter night or a night where his execution just wasn't up, up to standard. But I wouldn't say it came from overcooking mm-hmm. his place. Definitely. It was very much, it was very much from it just, it was an off, a particularly off game. Now, you're right, we can't have games like that, especially as we start the run in towards the finals. We need our halves firing as best they can. It's funny because now, you know, if I was to give an overall summary of the game, I'd say that our forwards laid the exact platform that we needed them to, mm-hmm. and we could not get the same sort of performance from our back line to take advantage of the platform yeah. that was laid. I think if you were just to keep it as bare bones as possible, that is how you'd summarise this game. Platform was there from the forwards, execution out wide was not. Um, and that start yeah. that started, you know, like you said, if an element of Reed Barney's decisions, but with the halves and the centres and the wingers, and uh, yeah. and and also the back rows too. Because don't don't forget that Sean Lane had that really crucial concentration drop late in the game, which was arguably our last real chance to have a, a crack at the win. It's just it was one of those frustrating games. Yeah. So now um, the elephant in the yeah. Room. So on 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 to frustration. Uh, Colt Hero at Parramatta was up there for a try scoring lead this year, and obviously got the gong last year. Mike Acevo is not at his best, is he? No. And I hate to be critical or single players out. You know me, that's I'm always the glass half full. Yeah, you you, you don't attack when you don't need like when it's no no need to attack, but like we said, legitimate criticism will be levied in this podcast and on our website, the Cumberland Fro. We're not afraid yeah. to to call out an issue when we see it, but we're also not going to attack a player because they had one bad game. However, in Micah's case, this has now been you know, across sort of that course of that slump, um, he has been probably our worst player. Well, let's look at this logically. When I'm having my layman's approach on who gets selected, and if someone is a, an incumbent in the team, I look for reasons. I might normally look for reasons as to why I drop a player. In this instance... I'm now at the point where I'm looking for reasons to keep him in first grade. So adopting that logical approach, I look at it and I go, well, what's the role of a winger in the modern game? The big part is the carries from the back. Do we get a tick or no, or a cross for that at the moment? Well, this week was the first week where he actually showed some hustle in that regard and he managed to sort of, didn't quite match Fergo, but at 16 runs for 141 metres versus 17 runs for 154 he was on about the same metrics. And that's the first time, though. And we made a point last week where he was, you know, underneath half of that. I think it was like 120 versus 50-something metres. So he's definitely been struggling in that regard. Yeah, okay. Next one. Um, kick or bomb defusals. <laughs> Do we go a tick or a cross? Yeah, there? well, he's definitely in his own head there. Unfortunately, okay. it, you see it happen with lots of wingers, and at the moment, Micah has got uh, the yips when it comes to catching the bombs. Okay. Now let's go on the other side of that, the kick chase and attacking the ball that's put up towards his corner. Yeah, kick or that, that, that is something you'd have to go under further review for tape. But I, I have to say that I can remember instances last night where players like Reed Marnie and Wonga Blake were leading charges, but I can't remember Micah leading the charge at any point. Okay. Defence. Oh, do we even need a tick across for that one, unfortunately? Um, and I will say this in his defense that a heavy track doesn't help him much. And you saw he was almost on ice skates at points when he was sort of coming in and then trying to plant the foot to then jam outside wide. But yeah, he's he's making bad reads. He's not making great contact when he does make a good read. So once again, it's another cross. Okay. And lastly, taking half chances and turning them into... Tries. Yeah, well, last, where do you think he stands there at the moment? Last week he forgot that downward pressure is how you score tries instead of um, trying to grab a bouncing ball. And then this week 
admittedly, this was a very tough, like tough one. Um, he got very close to it, but yeah, he's not converting those opportunities, is he? No, and we had two other instances in the game. One where he was presented with open field in front of him, mm-hmm. about forty meters out from our after line. Lomax tried to kick the ball, I believe. Tried to kick the yep. ball, and he sort of got air swing because someone tackled him, and we scooped it up, batted it to the Gufferson, who then flicked it off to Micah, and he just did not get out of second gear. No, it looked like a slow jog into the defence in that instance, and there was, and this is maybe a little bit harsh again, but there was a, an opportunity where he was placed one on one facing Ravalawa, uh, right on the goal line, and he, from memory, I think he backed into him. Uh, I, again, I've, I'm not going with the benefit yeah, of the Yeah, without the footage, exactly. But that but, that, that does uh, strike a, a chord, I do believe. He had, a, he had a couple opportunities coming back on the inside too in that game on the goal line, and he ran the ball relatively hard but fell short. So I'll excuse him there. But those other ones, the first however... 10, let, let me clarify this. The first 10 minutes or so, I thought, see those on fire tonight. Those carries that you were talking about where he was coming slightly back in the field, I thought, they're not going to be able to handle him tonight. He's on. He's and on. if he'd stayed and hot then, like that, it probably wouldn't have been the case. They probably wouldn't have been able yeah. to handle him. So now we come to the conundrum of this season. Is No reserve grade. No reserve grade. Are there options outside of selecting Micah in first grade? And now, the, the Eels this, telegraphed one this week, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, however, the next opponent is the Melbourne yeah. Storm. Damned if you do, damned so if you don't. The options. <laughs> Let's talk about the options. There's plenty of people out there saying it's time to debut Hayes Dunster. And now, the first thing I'm going to say in regard to that is I can almost guarantee that 95% of people who are saying that have not watched very much of Hayes. So let's let's preface it with that. They're just jumping on the bandwagon. Let's debut Hayes. On, on the back of it, remember that Hayes had a relatively decent showing in the trials and in the Perth nines, and that's where a lot yes. of this a lot of this theorem is being founded, in that we yep. got a glimpse of him and he looked okay. So let's throw him into the like into the fire that's, into the wolves. That that that's it one hundred percent. Now, having said that, you know that I've been saying to you that. Hayes is getting very, very close to a selection, in my opinion, because he's been doing very well in the opposed sessions at training. He has put on about seven kilos this year. Maybe four kilos of that is in his ass, but <laughs> he's put on about seven kilos this year. <laughs> like, that's a throwaway line, but that's actually a very important area for him to put weight on yeah, because when you, you think get about, a lot of that drive and That's power. right, the, the power through post-contact, through the hips, you need you need a lot of that drive. So that is an, actually yeah. an important area as much as you can laugh about it. Um, it also makes you harder to tackle, believe it or not. When you've got thicker hips, um, it's harder for the tackler to wrap their arms around you. So Yeah, so that's, that's, actually, that's actually good weight to put on. And I had a few words to him from a COVID bubble distance during the week. He is champing at the bit to... You get a debut, and he's working hard, and they really worked him hard during the week, and this was a good week for him to get... Ex- he had all the exposure that he'd need to a first-grade run was given to him this week. It was very much in my mind, and this is just in my mind, that sort of preparation where they're saying to him, you're not too far away, son. You're, you're very close. Now, we've seen him since basically the 16s playing for Parramatta. And he's always been a player that's had great promise. And we felt that he was going to play first grade at some stage. He's had the odd error in him. But Hayes has been... Can you call someone who's like 20, 21 a late maturer? I don't know. I don't know that that's a fair thing to say. But he's now at the chance of debuting at an a little bit later than a couple of his contemporaries like Oregon and Dylan. Yeah, well, when, when we're, cel- when we're celebrating the debut year. of Andrew Davey, it probably is a little bit um, harsh on Hayes to call him a late bloomer. Yeah, that's uh, right. But... So is is he an option for Sevo? Now, I'm going to say this week probably no because 
the last thing you'd want to do would be to Craig, make you. If if we name someone. him on on Team List Tuesday, Craig Bellamy is going to get the red marker out, circle that name, and say we are going to bully this player. We're going to yeah. attack him. We're going to isolate him. We're going to try and destroy him. And that's you know that's, right. that's what all all good coaches would do, right? They're going to pick on what they perceive to be the weak link, and a rookie <clears throat> coming into a very hostile game is always going to be uh, you know a perceived weakness. And that's that's not to say okay. that the Eels might not roll the dice, but that is a huge you know cautionary tale as to why they shouldn't. Yeah. So would I like to see Hayes debut this year? Yes, I would. Do I think he deserves to debut this year? Yes, I do. Do I think it will be this week? No, I don't. So let's let's take him out of the equation for this week. So then we explore things a little bit more. George Jennings would be an option. He's currently on loan to the Warriors. Would we consider calling him back in this short turnaround week? Maybe not. It's it would be a big call. So then outside of that, I'm probably looking at Tacker. I, I'm actually of the opinion that I think we'd get more out of Tacker on the wing than we do with Micah at the moment because issues like contesting the high ball and defence, I think Tacker would make better calls than what Micah is making. He doesn't possess that brutality of finishing a chance right on the line that Micah does at his best. But I have to think to myself, is he going to perform any worse than what Mike is doing? And I'd say absolutely not. No, not when so, Mike is in this sort of slump anyway. The, no, other, the other player no. I suppose you could throw out there is our mid-season recruit, Jordan Rankin, who is more of a fullback than a winger, but he has played wing in the past. He has. He's been performing in the halves in the opposed sessions. So, is that is that a function more of the limited hands available because of the COVID bubble or a reflection of where you think he sort of stands in the team as that uh, depth utility playmaker? I think it could very well be a, a little bit of both. <laughs> that, that, he, is, that is probably a reasonable answer considering all things. Yeah, he, he's been playing a 5-8 sort of role and I think he's settled in quite well in the... Uh, set up I don't see that he would be a wing option okay there you go so we I think we come back to things like uh, and of course uh, uh, Watto has been you know in and around the centers and the and the wing for the uh, reserves of the Reggies so he would also be like a debutante, and I can't see that happening. So uh, we're talking about Watson, a leader there with that. So oh, it's it's know, it's tough. I so I mean, maybe they just write it out of Micah as well and say we're going to back you to get out of this. But you know, one way or another, I think Hayes will get his debut between Ferguson being you know sort of load managed down the future. I think he'll have another pit stop before the finals. Um, but before yeah. then, you know, if Micah can't get everything together, I'd say by the end of this, this game coming up, I think that maybe yeah. they, they'll ride him out for one more game, give him a chance to get right, give the whole team a chance to get right, because obviously there are issues across the park, but Micah is probably the most emblematic of them all. Yeah. If I was to guess, I'd say that you're going to have Micah named again this week, and there will be a, a, a absolute wall of criticism probably heading BA's way for selecting Micah this week. I I would be happy to have Tacker selected, but I don't think it's going to happen because I think the option is what you've said, which is against the storm, certainly we'll just ride it out and see if Micah can find some of his mojo again. So... Now, you bring up the yeah. topic of criticism and of criticism of coaches and of players. And it's probably more relevant now than it has been for a long time because the Eels have just lost a game and it's a frustrating game because, you know, everyone's going to say the Dragons should have been beaten. It is also a reminder that there are no easy games in the NRL, that even at their worst, 
the worst team in the NRL can still put up a competitive uh, you know, fight against a good team. So, uh, 11 and 3, the nice start coming out. What, what do you think about it? Like, what, what does it say about us as a player base, a player base, supporter base, that we sort of, as soon as things turn a little bit south, we start shopping around for players, start pulling out nice for coaches. You know, if it's not Brad Arthur, it's one of the assistant coaches. If it's not one of the assistant coaches, it's the training staff. And if it's not, you know, a starting player, it's uh, one of the Reggie players. You know, like, why, why have this player and why not get the, the new hotness in instead? Psychologically, as a supporter base, does it frustrate you? Everyone supports in their own way. I'm, I get frustrated with some of the takes of, obviously, not just on our site, but on social media. And I mean, if, if you were brave enough to venture into the cesspool of Twitter last night, holy moly, there were some hot takes. I did not venture into Twitter very much at all last night. I've, to be honest, I came home and I watched a bit of telly and I didn't watch any rugby league. <laughs> and I haven't really... I spoke, I've spoken to a couple of people this morning, yourself included, with a few thoughts on the game. But I, I think it's... When you're talking about an 11-3 and three season to this point, to be ripping in the way that some supporters have been, it's pretty harsh because, again, there's a whole crew of supporters of other clubs who would love to swap ladder. And not, not, not just us. ladder positions, but future outlook. Like yeah. the, the squad now, that we've built, built is, you know, built to succeed long term. In the fair income states, you've got the Storm, who are, as far as I'm concerned, the benchmark. I, I agree 100%. Penrith obviously having a fantastic season, but Melbourne without key players keep finding ways to win big games. And they That's are it. they are the benchmark. They Them and obviously the Roosters, if they can get right. But right now, uh, I, I couldn't go past the storm. That's why this week looms is such a huge trial. The valid criticism that can be made of Parramatta is that we have not proven ourselves to be an elite team. And by an elite team, I'm talking about the Storm and I'm talking about the Roosters when they have a full complement of yeah, players. Uh, that I is can't fair. Include, I can't include the Roosters right now because they are really dealing with damage control to their roster with what injuries are, are doing to that. But the Roosters and the Storm have proven time and time again that when you have to reach a certain level to win big games, that they've got a higher ceiling than anyone else. The Penrith Panthers are showing that they have potential to reach that same ceiling. They reach it at different points in a game, but they also have very questionable moments in games where teams get to fire some shots at them. They had that point in the game against us and we went bang, 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 scored three tries, won the game in about a 10-minute period where they looked to have had complete control of the game. If you have Penrith playing their normal game up against, well, playing their best, at the Storm, who's playing their best, I'd back the Storm 99 times out of 100 to beat the, the Panthers because I don't think the Panthers are, are fully developed. Well, obviously, they've got a lot of young players, so, of course, they're not fully developed. But right at this point in time, the Storm are a class above the Panthers, even though the latter position says that the Panthers are... Half, a win, half a win better, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely the Storm. There's, I think, in this current premiership, there's a little bit of daylight after the storm. You've then got the Panthers. You've got if the Roosters had their most of their players back, they're probably up there. And then you've got us that in that top four. And I, I see us as a top four team, but we have certainly a ways to go before we can prove that we could challenge the storm. I think we can beat the Panthers again on on our day. I mean, on our day, we can take anyone. 
that's the frustration of his last sort of like five or six weeks is that on our day we are as good a team on talent and on on you know on a potential as anyone, but it's a matter of just psychologically getting ourselves back in the groove and we've sort of I think we've gotten into our own heads a little bit. We talked about that with Micah before with the bombs, but we're also within our own heads in general. Um, you know, sort of those those handling errors and concentration drops. You know, we're sort of telling ourselves, "Don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it," and then you end up dropping it, and so it makes it that much worse. But yeah, um, next week or this week, whichever you want to look at it now, uh, obviously a huge test. Melbourne Storm not going to be at full strength. Uh, there's talk about Cameron Smith not coming back this week potentially, but I I would be planning as if he is playing. Um, Jerome Hughes, Suliasi uh, Vinavalu under doubts. Hughes of a groin tweak and Suliasu not going to play because he broke his jaw. So beware the wounded storm for sure because no matter how you know deprived of talent they are, they find a way to turn up. But in the longer term projections, the Eels have six weeks to get right. They've got to figure out who they're going to be in the finals. Are they going to make up numbers or are they going to make this you know a real you know, a real run at the title and make themselves a real threat? It's interesting that you put it that way because if we're talking about the funk slash slump that was briefly mentioned by yourself earlier, then if we don't get out of the funk, then we're making up numbers. We need to find a way to re-energise. I've had it suggested to me, are we tired? Is, uh, is there something in that regard look I don't believe that it's that I just think that psychologically maybe we need a bit of oppression there needs to be some way of finding oppression I don't see any evidence at all where things look down at training the energy's great the vibe is great they're not ahead of themselves they don't believe that they're better than what they are I don't see any evidence of that. I see them working on a lot of things. People might criticise and say, oh, we're not throwing enough of this or doing this or doing that. I can tell you there's an issue around the execution in games. There's nothing wrong with the preparation. Once they're getting out there, it's it's not happening. So um, I think we need to find a mental pressure for them out there on the field, whether that's something that's the players can look into, whether it's something the coaches need to look into. I, if I had the answer to that, I'd probably be on an NRL start. I don't have the answer to that because I'm just a punter like everyone else that's either listening to us or talks football through the week and goes and watches a game. So, Well, yeah. speaking of issues around execution, I haven't had the chance to speak with you about this, mate, but I had a visit from a couple of underbelly types yesterday. Uh, they had a COD invoice for a signed jersey from the Rugby League Memorabilia Emporium. Mate, after last night, I hadn't had a chance to talk to you either, but you're not the only one. Those same goons turned up to my place and made a sizable invoice for me for a pair of signed boots. And given what they looked like, I wasn't going to say no. But I suspect that our old mate, Dr. O, has kept his promise about having something for us. My jersey had a photo of Ray Price in the package, but can you believe that the signature reads Roy Prince? Well, it's funny you should say that, mate, because the boots that I had delivered were meant to be signed by Brent, Brett Kenny, but the signature is definitely from a Brent Kelly. There's a number on my invoice. Uh, before we ring Fair Trading and have a, chat, have a chat to the Ombudsman, how about we rip into our old mate, Dr. O? I want to speak to whoever's responsible for sending those goons to collect cash for rubbish that we never ordered. And by whoever, I mean Dr. O. <laughs> the boss said you may give us a call. You'll have to speak to me. And your name is? Sol. Salty! What the hell, man? <laughs> okay, the way I see it, you have some goods, an invoice that clearly describes the items, and you've made the appropriate payment. $900 for a made-in-Nigeria jersey signed by Roy Prince is hardly a good-faith transaction, my man. Uh, uh, check the invoice. I think you'll see that it clearly states that it is an authenticated Roy Prince signature. Wait, let me check. 
You bastard. And 60s, you'll find that the invoice for your $900 made in Botswana boot stipulates that they carry an authentic Brent Kelly signature. Bastard! Fox might not have appreciated the heat from my Twitter posts, but Dr. O appreciates the special qualities I can bring to his business. Well, I can name roughly around nine qualities about you that I don't appreciate. And that's about mentioning your fo- your footy team. Woo. <laughs> and you've both paid $100 for every one of those qualities. You bastard. While I've got this time on your podcast, maybe I can interest, you, interest your listeners in a Paul Kent player kit. Tracksuit, socks, shorts, and a match-worn jersey that is particularly clean. I've also got Paul Carriage Finals highlights videos. This is all rare stuff worth thousands. But you know I've got that special price for you blokes. Let me guess. $900, right? Hang on. Let me check. Maybe we can change this to number 900. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. He is an utter, utter bastard. And my only solace is I reckon that business has much of a future as the Tigers' 2021 salary cap. <laughs> uh, yeah, not a bad call out there. Uh, let's move back to the footy, eh? Well, you aren't employed on any NRL coaching staff, but this is the part of the podcast where we get to put in our coaches' caps and look ahead to the next game. And we've already touched on it fairly heavily, but the Melbourne Storm, round 15, for once, it's at Parramatta. That is the number of games across a number of years where it's always interstate. Uh, how do we see this one playing out teamless-wise and on the park? I think we're probably unlikely to see any team changes unless there is an injury that we're not aware of. I mean, Jun- I Junior Paul obviously won the monitor. He had his ankle fallen on, but he did manage to push for it and play on. So that was the one concern, I think, coming out of that game. Yeah. So if we're looking at team changes, there's only... One that we've talked about, which is whether Micah retains his spot and probably because of where whether you've got options, it's and because it's a storm, we're probably unlikely to see a change there. As I said, I'd prob- I'd like to see the thought about Tacker. There might be people that howl me down because of that, but if I was making my selection I'd go with Tacker, but I'm thinking BA probably decides to ride it out and keep working on Micah through the week. Maybe Micah gets a rocket in terms of what's expected of him this week. So I'm not, I'm not expecting any so change, to be this, honest. This I, will think be we'll a, turn up. I think we'll turn up. No, this this will be a we'll twilight or post-twilight Thursday night game. Uh Forecast to be cloudy, but no rains at this stage. But that is obviously, you know, over half a week out, so they're subject to change. It would be nice to play on a dry track. I will say that. After all this slippery, greasy, and wet, you know, conditions, I know that we got one against the dogs and we didn't perform, but it'd feel, if we're going to be at our best, a dry track would probably be the one of the keys to unlocking it. Yeah, yeah. I, as I said, I think we will turn up, mate. I think we will turn up. Whether we're good enough to take the storm or whether, and obviously we're talking about the storm may not be featuring their full-strength team, so who knows what take that we get out of it. If we if we were to lose to an understrength storm team, you can see that the knives would probably be coming out in time from critics. If we beat... An understrength storm team people will point to them being under strength. If the storm are at full strength, do we have the capacity to go with them? Or, or probably not at full strength because they're they're going to have a player or two that's out. But if they've got a Cameron Smith included, if they've got a Munster with any chance of playing and they play, even if we were to uh, play at our best, do we have the capacity to take them at their best? There's a lot of interesting questions around this. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to aim to be there with bells on. I think we'll turn up. Are we good enough to win? 
I don't have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 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 like I said before, it's always a cautionary tale when it comes to riding off teams because they're missing players or they're up against adverse conditions. The Melbourne Storm, you know, took down the Roosters comfortably. And I know that the Roosters yeah. had their issues of injuries in that game with Luke Curie exiting with a rib injury. But Melbourne, you know, without the two Camerons, uh, who are huge losses, you know, take out Reed Marnie and Mitchell Moses from our team, and we're certainly going to be struggling. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this will be the litmus test. Uh, and the question I suppose is, is is a quality loss to an understrength storm good enough? No. 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 Uh, that, that, I think no. that's fair. I think this is a game that they need to win. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah. that, that I say that fully aware of what I've just said in, in that there is no easy game in the NRL. But uh, a week after dropping that game against the Dragons, which we shouldn't have lost, uh, you know, due to our own ineptitude for the most part, um, and I've said it before, good teams don't lose two games in a row. And I, yeah. y- yes, they're up against one of the best teams competition, but this is an understrength version of them. They're at home. Um, you know, it's a six six day turnaround, but it also is, I think, our third game in like 11 days or something like that. It, it is a rough stretch for us. Physically, this is going to take a toll, but they need to yeah. be up for this game. And mate, I'm going to come back to this. How much does it suck to lose a Thursday or a Friday night game? Oh, yeah. It is it is the worst, isn't it? At least on a Sunday, like you know, it's like all right, teamless Tuesday in, in in a day and a half. You know, we're going to get to it, get to the next game. Let's see, let's see what it's all about. But you lose that Thursday, Friday night game. It's like God, the weekend's just going to drag on now. And for anyone that's still listening at this point in the podcast, who who maybe were thinking, oh yeah, I'll see these blokes through to the end of the podcast, even though there's lots of negative things that have to be talked about today. <laughs> Let us assure them that one of the things that crosses our mind is, oh, God, we're going to have to record a podcast after a loss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, it, it's, it, it is not know, fun drawing up the, uh, the the run sheet and sort of thinking about your talking points uh, a day after of a loss like we had last night. And, of course, the other side of it as well is, as I said to you before, I... I prefer to be a glass half full sort of fella and to find criticisms of fellas who I've got all the time for in the world as players and individuals, it, it's tough. But we wouldn't be a true sight, I don't believe, if we didn't find, if we didn't, you know, include valid criticisms of players where it is needed. So. Absolutely. And on that, well, sombre or realistic note, it's probably a good place to wrap things up. Um, so if you've stopped by for um, all the wrap-up from the Round 14 loss, thank you for coming in. Thank you for listening. And uh, look forward to a big game against Melbourne in Round 15.